whether you are just waking up or you have been awake the whole time. Join Ashley and Lily each and every month as we explore sexual health topics on Wake Up to Sexual Health. Wake Up to Sexual Health is brought to you with funds from the Health Resources and Services Administration Grant, or HRSA. Number G2-54940-01, awarded to Telesane. The views expressed in the podcast are those of the creators and do not reflect the views of HRSA. Here at Wake Up to Sexual Health, we want to ensure safety for all of our listeners. We strive to provide trigger warnings for each and every episode. This episode is a conversation on advocacy. Trigger warnings can include violence, domestic violence or abuse, and sexual assault or abuse. Wake up and stay safe out there. On episode three of Wake Up to Sexual Health, we have brought in Women and Children First, a local advocacy group to help walk us through how advocacy can help um, people who are experiencing domestic violence or abuse, sexual assault or abuse. So today we have Ms. Lakeith Henry and Ms. Ann Prosper. So ladies, take it away. All right. Good morning. Um, and thank you all for listening in on such a very important topic. Um, today we'll share some information about women and children first, but we will also highlight one of our larger programs, which is the sexual assault program. Um, and today I also have uh, Miss Ann Prosper. Women and Children First has been around for over 40 years. Uh, We are a domestic violence shelter, but in 2015, we became a dual shelter, meaning we work with victims of violence. Um, Our crisis hotline is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That means if someone is needing us um, in a crisis or just wanting information, they can contact our hotline at any time and receive services by a trained hotline advocate. Um, Sometimes when they're calling, um, given the circumstances, they may need a safe place to transition to. And that is part of um, the larger programs that we do offer, which is safety. Um, They can come into shelter um, and stay with us anywhere from 45 days to 60 days. Um, And those are just um, some minimum um, amount of time that any victim can stay with us. It's certainly based on where they are in their crisis and how their transition is going. So some of the additional services um, that are included once they transition into the shelter include case management. We have a team of shelter advocates who are ready to work side by side with the victims seeking services. And sometimes when they come in shelter, they're literally um, coming in by themselves, meaning just the clothing that they have on them. And so the case uh, management uh, part of the services that are offered by the shelter advocates include, what are your immediate needs right now? And we want to make sure that we meet those basic needs, meaning food, shelter, and clothing. Um, We have plenty of time to address what brought them to us, but we want to meet our victim where they are, not what we may think they need, but where they are. Um, And because we are meeting victims where they are, we follow an empowerment model. And so based off of our empowerment model, again, it allows our staff to work side by side with the victims. And it also allows the victim to learn to start to take that power back because we know abuse is all rooted in power and control. 
So they get to decide when they want to eat. They get to decide if they want to get up. They get to decide if they want to go to work. They get to get to decide even if they want us to help them. That is all part of the environment that we try uh, to emulate um, to create that safe space and teach them that they can learn to take their power back. Also, when working with our shelter advocates, many of our victims may bring in small children with them. And so we have a, a children's program where if they have um, toddler age or infant age, we have a child care advocate that's there to assist mom while mom works with a shelter advocate or mom has to go and file an order of protection or mom is looking for a new employment. Um, the shelter um, child care advocate can also just assist mom in some basic um, skills such as teaching them that our kids are hurting too. Um, sometimes we can focus on the adult needs and we forgot our children are experiencing the same type of abuse that many of our kids um, have been exposed to. Um, and then beyond our children's program, we have um, our children's education specialist who works with our high school kids um, to teach them about healthy dating um, and um, those types of relationships that can sometimes lead them into becoming a victim of domestic violence themselves. And then our Camp Hope coordinator, um, she works with our kids that are in outreach. Um, we're the only program in the state right now who offers Camp Hope. And Camp Hope is the first evidence-based camp that's dedicated to kids who have been exposed to trauma. And so we take our kids um, and we camp with them. We teach them about life skills. We teach them that despite the environment they come out of, it doesn't dictate the type of lifestyle they would want to have. And so they get a chance to just simply be a kid. We don't focus on the trauma. We focus on instilling um, new skills and reintroducing them to language that is healthy for them. Um, we also have a counseling advocate. Sometimes when they come in, we're not just addressing the abuse or the violence itself, we're uh, addressing multiple layers of trauma. Um, and that's where our counseling advocates can come into play to help them identify if I need to get back on medication, um, if I need to reconnect with my therapist, because one of the ways that my alleged abuser controlled me, um, he or she didn't allow me um, to take my medication or make my appointments. And so she can work with them to help reestablish those community relationships. Um, and again, they can cook on their own, they clean on their own, they do laundry when they need to. Anything that you do in your home is the same environment that we create in the shelter. It is in a safe space. And so we monitor our cameras to make sure that we're doing our part in keeping not only our victims safe, but our guests and volunteers safe too. And one of the other larger programs that we are really excited about um, is our sexual assault program. And so Anne will share um, what her role has been and how she has done a tremendous job in being able to grow the program. But also in growing our program, we've been able to extend um, our services by being able to have a grant that allowed us to have four sexual assault advocates. Um, so again, if there are anyone out there who needs our services, um, that I did mention, and even if we don't have the resources, we certainly work with other community partners um, to make sure that we do our best to extend them. And if you need assistance, our number is 501-376-3219. And we assist men, women, and children who've been exposed to sexual violence or domestic violence. And so Ann now will take over and share more details about our sexual assault program. 
Thank you, Lakeith. Uh, as she said, my name is Ann Prosper. I am transitioning out of the sexual assault team lead position at Women and Children First. Um, we did become a dual shelter a few years back because one of the things we know is that domestic violence and sexual violence overlap. So we needed to be able to address those uh, issues. As Lakeith said, we have expanded our team we have went from a team of two to a team of four. So we have four sexual assault advocates now that will be um, working in our sexual assault program. We've also taken on more counties. So we will be providing services in Pulaski County, Lone Oak County, Garland County, and Saline County. One of the things that we are very, very proud of is our hospital advocacy program. Our hospital advocacy program is one where um, the we work with the emergency rooms in um, in the central Little Rock area. We work with both Baptist hospitals, North Little Rock, Little Rock. We work with UAMS, St. Vincent North, and St. Vincent Little Rock, um, and UAMS. We also will be going into Garland County. Um, Lono County and Saline County and working with the emergency rooms in those counties as, as well. What our hospital advocacy program does is when a rape victim comes into the hospital, the uh, ER charge nurse will call our hotline. They will call our hotline and ask for an advocate. Once they ask for that advocate, the call is um, patched through to the on-call advocate that's on staff at that time on call. Uh, we have an hour turnaround time that we will make it back to the hospital and we provide what we call our comfort care bags. All of our advocates are ready uh, at any time with bags in their, in their cars. We try to keep at least four sizes of bags at all times. Uh, one of the questions that we would ask the contact uh, nurse is what size um, is the victim? And they will let us know so that we can make sure that we have that bag there. So what do we do when we get to the hospital? We are there for support. We're not there to interrogate. We're not there to ask a lot of questions. We're there to support that victim in any way that we can. Uh, I have just sat quietly at the bedside. I have sat at the bedside and held a hand. I have called a family member for them. I have sat in the uh, lobby with family members. So we are there for support. Once we um, get ready to leave, we make sure that we ask the victim, can we contact you in 48 hours? Let me tell you some of the other services that the sexual assault program uh, provides, and that's crisis intervention. So let's just walk through uh, for a moment when a victim enters the shelter. Uh, as Lakeith said, they will call the hotline. Once they call the hotline uh, and they come into shelter, they will be provided the case management on the shelter advocate side. Once they've um, had their case manager, case management, the shelter advocate will then uh, introduce them to the sexual assault team. What we do is we just provide what we call crisis intervention. 
uh, as you know, we are a short stay. We are short 45 days. So we want to make sure that during that 45 days that two things we want them to know. First off, we believe you. Second off, how brave you are to enter our doors. Um, we also provide support groups um, within the sexual assault program. It's very important that even though we work with them individually, that oftentimes we see that victim survivors thrive in a support group setting of their peers. So we provide support groups. Some of the support groups that we have is Beyond Anger and Violence. And why did we choose that one? Because we know that victims carry a lot of hidden anger. And so we want to uh, help them to explore this, help them to also understand that anger is normal. And so we provide that beyond anger and violence. Then we provide um, a support group called Getting Safe and Sober. That is for our victims that come in that are have possibly been using substances or alcohol. And we know why they do that. Those are coping mechanisms. Those are coping strategies that they have uh, used over the years, some of them. And so we provide that getting safe and sober a support group. We also provide uh, a support group called Moving Beyond. And that is what we call our multiple trauma, multi-trauma support group. Why? Because we deal with domestic violence and sexual violence. And so we want to let them know how they overlap with each other. Um, we have support groups out in the community that we're very, very proud of our community support groups. The Courage to Heal is one that we provide in the community. Uh, it is twice monthly. And then we also have a partnership with Little Rock Air Force Base where we have the Courage to Heal support group there weekly uh, for men and women. The number one deterrent for all the awful things that happen in people's lives, um, you know, criminal activity that leads to imprisonment, recidivism, um, socioeconomic issues, all of these, the number one deterrent that keeps coming up over and over again is education. Um, and not education in the sense of you go to school, you open your book, you do your lesson and your, but education on generational trauma and what that means. Education on domestic violence and continued domestic violence as, as you become an adult. Education on even what is sexual assault. And so my, my question to you is in these presentations that you go in and that you're offering in this this discussion, um, are you able to address those gaps in that education with those presentations? We are able to address those gaps. Yes, we are. Uh, what we normally do is the individual that reaches out to us for presentations, they let us know what it is that they're wanting. Mm -hmm. And so we have had um, college campuses that reach out to us and what they want to do is just talk about consent. Uh, high schools reach out to us and they want us to come and just talk about what a healthy relationship looks like. And it looks like Lakeith is wanting to kind of weigh in on this. Lakeith? 
Yes, um, absolutely. Um, you brought up some valid points in terms of what does the education part looks like. Um, but secondly, how do we break um, these generational cycles of abuse and um, getting to some of the communities where people don't reach out because of their cultural um, beliefs? Um, how do we address the stereotypes um, of working with our young ladies um, in terms of they brought it on themselves because they had a short skirt on? You know, in terms of early childhood education, we know um, that I, I talked a little bit about um, our young um, children experiencing the same type of unhealthy environment as early as in the womb. Um, sometimes parents struggle with understanding why their child is so aggressive, um, why um, they hit, you know, we know that learned behavior is real, but how do we talk to our moms in such a way where they hear us and not talk at them? Because some parents will hear, you're saying I'm a bad mom. Um, and so that will deter many families from reaching out to um, agencies such as um, ourselves, but even the school counselors, um, because we're so quick to judge. And we have to get away from judging to how can I um, teach you some life skills that will stay within your family so that your family grows and hold on to these new life skills. So as Ann stated, when we are called to come out we're not coming out, you know, with our whip and books packed. We're asking, what is it that we can do to help? And I remember one of our local high schools reached out to us, one of the counselors, and they were having a hard time um, with their um, students and uh, unhealthy relationships. They were seeing it. They didn't know how to address it. And so we came out and we just had a conversation with these young people. We had over 300. And unfortunately, um, Angela and myself could see all the red flags and many of the young people were saying that's what they grew up with and they really think it's okay. So it's happening more than people realize. It just looks different. It's real easy to, to say abuse when you can see a black eye or a broken arm, but it's those other things that are happening, that emotional um, the person that's checking you out at the cash register, not looking at you. There's so many other signs that are out there that we're missing the mark in terms of educating each other on what it looks like. You guys are bringing up some excellent points. I know um, in the hospital environment, uh, which is obviously where I work, we work on the judgment factor, the bias factor, these ideas that we have in our heads. This is what sexual assault looks like. This is what a sexual assault victim looks like. This is what a domestic violence victim looks mm -hmm. like. And it's so misleading and causes so many problems because we are trying to take that stereotype and box in our victims. I understand that your parent or your guardian or did these things to you. I need you to know that shouldn't have been done to you. Mm -hmm. And here's how you can stop the cycle. Um, and they may not be ready to hear it then. It may just be an offer of, I hear you. You, you, got, you got so much baggage. Um, when you're ready to let loose of some of those bags, call us. Let us Absolutely. know. So you guys are doing great work. I appreciate you acknowledging all those factors. I wanted to kind of go back to the generational abuse that you talked about. One of the um, 
One of our community outreach groups that we provide is at one of the drug and alcohol rehabilitation centers here in the city. Uh, and that is where you will find that in, in the particular group, they are female. And so one of the things what we find there is a lot of generational abuse because once they come into treatment for those for those 30 days and they're able to begin to to think more with a clearer mind and begin to experience and feel some of those feelings that they have been masking for so long, then they realize that I am uh, mocking some of the same um, behavior that my mom did. Not just that my mom did, but that my my uh, mom's sisters and my grandmother. And guess what? It has been okay with me all this time because that's yeah. all I knew. Right. And so we are very excited to go in and share with them, as Lakee said, not to point fingers, not to make them feel bad about uh, some of the even choices that they made, but to educate them and let them know that, yes, this is abuse. This was abuse. And then a lot of them have children that their adult children are actually uh, repeating that same cycle. Mm -hmm. So we're, we definitely try to uh, identify and address those issues. Yeah, you bring up some great points. And I think that's the reason your support groups are so successful is because people can share not just their their trauma, but the, the past trauma to let others realize, yes, this should not have happened. Re-victimization um, is very common, not just from the people that, that victims are, are receiving care from or support from, but also from their generational trauma. And so I think um, Lakeith nailed it on the head and, and you did it as well. And, you know, this is all I know. This was my mom, my mama's mom. I mean, you're talking generations back. This is the way it's been. And you see it a lot in socioeconomics as well, where you have generational poor. You have poor on top of poor on top of poor. And one of the main things besides financial stability that was lacking is is the the idea that it can be different. Yeah. And that's that's mind blowing. I think sometimes when people go to support groups is, oh, this can be different. Also, also, not only that it can be different, but that. I'm not the lone ranger. You know, I've not wanted to say this for a long time, but now that I hear a group of my peers. With the same mm -hmm. story basically that I have. Mm -hmm. Now I don't feel now I don't feel as isolated. Now I don't feel as bad. And so now I feel a little bit more inclined to open up and uh, talk about some of the things that have, have basically happened to me, you know. So, yeah, we're very, very um, proud of our of our support groups. Uh, one of the things in our support groups that we that we have a lot of aha moments is that a lot of our guests will come into shelter as domestic violence. And once we begin to work with them and uh, have them in support group, then they will realize 
wow, I have also been victimized with sexual abuse mm-hmm. by my husband, by my partner. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had accepted that all down through the years. And so I made it okay. And now, but now that I'm sitting here getting this awareness and this education, now I can see that, yes, that's what it is. It is sexual abuse. So as a victim advocate, what do we do? We listen very actively. Mm -hmm. And being active listeners, then we are able to go to that individual, not in the group, and blast them out but be able to provide, again, that crisis intervention or that follow-up with them to sit one-on-one individually and kind of talk about, uh, you know, I heard you say this in group the other day. You know, can we explore it a little bit more? Or we want to be able to give them the tools that if they do leave and the education and the awareness that now they're having these light bulb experiences. If I go back home, wow, you know, this is what uh, Miss Lakeith talked to me about while I was in shelter. It's really coming to pass. Now I see that. This is what Miss Ann said to me while I was in shelter. And they, they are able to connect the dots. And once they begin to connect those dots on their own, then they do what? Make the change on their own as well. Lakeith, do you have anything to add to that? When they're calling the crisis hotline um, for their needs, safety cleaning is really important. Um, As Ann said, they go back an average of seven to nine times. So we're not shocked at all. Um, They're talking to their abusers um, as they're walking through the doors. They're talking um, to their abuser as they're working the program. But safety planning is the key. And it looks different for each victim because their circumstances and their transition plan is different. We know that they're going back. We know that they're trying to survive. And when you're in survival mode, then you do whatever it takes to get whatever your, your need is. Um, So, again, it's about establishing relationships, but hopefully when they reach out to us, they know that they can reach out to us as many times as as they need. But there may be someone that will be listening to uh, the podcast today and they may want to know. At our organization, I would really like uh, to have a support group at our organization. It could be a church. It could be a, a youth home. It could be any organization that would not want to come in shelter because everybody's not uh, comfortable coming into the shelter, to the support groups that we provide there. And so you may want to know, well, we would like for our, we don't even want to come to your community support group. We'd like to know if you could come to us and provide some support groups with us. We absolutely can do that. We can call that number that Lakeith, um Gave 501-376-3219. That's our hotline. At this time, we are providing tele-advocacy. And so we can provide those tele-advocacy services for you if you do call. If we find that you need more of a long-term service, we do uh, uh, let them know that we do have an in-shelter counselor. And we can refer them over to our in-shelter counselor. But if we're if they're looking for or they need Uh, more of a long-term services, then we uh, refer them to some of our outside agencies. 
um, addressing the fact that domestic violence is uh, to gain that power and control that um, a perpetrator has over, vic over its victim, it's incremental. It does not happen overnight. It is a step-by-step -step process that is usually very thought out. And if not thought out, it is learned so well that it is second nature to the abuser. And so escape plans, um, seeking um, support and um, getting out of that situation is just as incremental. It is tiny steps and it doesn't happen the same for every victim. It has to be customized to their needs and um, their, their situation. So you guys did a great job explaining that. In Arkansas, we have a, a discord between what victims are expected to look like or come across as versus reality. And in reality, we've already addressed that, you know, you have the generational trauma, you have socioeconomic issues, you have barriers that are culture placed um, that are so hard to overcome sometimes. One of the barriers that I see, and this is personal for me, um, you know, this is the reason I bring it up and bring awareness to it, is the gap in disability services. Unfortunately, um, people who are, are disabled, that's not the unfortunate part. The unfortunate part is that they are victimized a lot. Um, one, because criminal justice system doesn't support um, these types of witnesses. Um, it is hard to put them on the stands, hard to prosecute these things. Um, even when you have the perfect so-called so-called perfect victim putting them on the stand is difficult these cases are hard to prosecute so when you have some sort of communication issue or disability that affects um, maybe their learning or cognitive ability what kinds of things does advocacy have to support this victim pool in arkansas or what gaps are you hoping to address with advocacy and support of these victims you brought up something that um, unfortunately continues to be um, a community that is underserved. And unfortunately, um, members of the disability community are prime um, victims when it comes to the many types of abuse that we have shared. And one of the things that uh, we have done in terms of trying to be more active, knowledgeable, supportive um, in supporting um, victims um, in the disability community. We work closely um, with an agency, um, uh, Partners for Inclusive Communities. Um, that, that agency has been a pillar, a backbone uh, for us when we have uh, victims um, that are part of the disability community. And so we make sure that um, our advocates are trained um, in working with um, inclusive when it ter uh, in terms of diversity. We know that there's not a textbook victim. It is something that is bigger than us. Um, you touched on some areas where it's at the, the policy level. Um, what about the resources? Um, anytime there are budget cuts, people tend to always go to we're cutting our kids programs and we're cutting um, our school programs or we're cutting those uh, Medicaid services. So if you're cutting those services, essentially you're making it difficult um, for individuals that are part of that community um, to reach out for help. 
And sometimes it weighs on us because we have to remember that we're limited too. Um, but the fight doesn't end with us. It just continues on. And it's another reminder um, that that community is missing so many services and they are afraid. Um, a victim is a victim, um, regardless of their needs, regardless of the additional support that is required. But I tell you, we haven't done enough. Um, and in the future, as we move forward and continue to grow, we have also made a point to invite the members of the disability community to the table of conversation. Um, they have a voice too, and we have to be willing to listen, um, as you stated, actively listening um, to what they're needing. So again, it is a population, it is a community that is underserved for many reasons, many other things that you mentioned, but it is something that we continue to strive and we heavily rely on the community to help us. We brought in outside agencies to help with their day-to-day -day, um, needs. Uh, we work with um, the disability rights um, criminal system um, because someone was financially abusing them and they didn't understand um, what financial abuse looks like. Um, we've, you know, had um, individuals from our, our team to go to court um, and be in support um, of someone from the disability community. So there are ways. Is it difficult? Absolutely. But again, we're not just there. Um, to meet their basic needs, we're going to continue to walk side by side with those individuals who really need us the most. And even when they visit the emergency room, um, sometimes people are not listening and they're trying to talk in a way that they're trying to share what is happening to them. But because we get in this routine of I have to check this, I have to do this, I have to mark this box that I did do this for the patient. And we absolutely haven't done anything. We've actually done a disservice we re-victimized the person, we've said that it's okay, and we sent them on their way right back into that unhealthy environment. So sometimes if we just slow down just a little bit and recognize I'm working with a human being, not a victim of violence, not a victim of um, from a socioeconomic community that is uncertain, but I'm working with a human being. And that's where we have to get back to treating people as if we, how we want to be treated. How do you want your loved one to receive services. And I think it goes back to what Anne was saying earlier about communities. Um, violence is a community issue. Sexual violence is a community is issue. Domestic violence is a community issue. So if you are in a place in your community that you can offer your building and it's accessible and it's in the center of these communities that need your support, then please reach out to Women and Children First and, and establish that um, as part of your community support. just want people to understand, um, you know, you find several, several and many supportive services in terms of someone who struggles with drugs and alcohol. We have to have that same motivation when it comes to family violence, intimate partner violence, sexual violence. We have to have that same encouragement. We have to have that same power to say enough is enough. You know, we talk about how do we how do we raise the bar in terms of getting people to understand how serious this is. I mean, you can go with a group of your friends and if there are four of you, one of you have already experienced some form of domestic violence. When you're with your family at a gathering, just look around. 
you probably don't even know what's going on behind closed doors. That is how serious it is. So again, that same energy that we have in terms of your health, this is part of your health. This is part of the community because we're all affected by it. And for 10 years, Arkansas consistently ranked number one in terms of domestic violence. And just even this year alone, um, in January, January through February, I believe, out of the 12 homicides, four of them were all domestic violence related. We're only in March. So it's a crisis. It's a crisis that makes people uncomfortable. It's a crisis where we have to continue the conversations. We have to. No, that's the kind of passion that we need to be reminded that we talk about the number one killer of women being heart disease. And for men, uh, you know, it's something else. So I can't remember off the top of my head. But we don't talk about one of the main contributors to women's health and their lively, their lives being their partners being killed by their partners. That is a, that is a top 10 for you as a woman that you might be killed by your partner. And that's hard to think about when you're starting relationships or when you're a teenager and you don't realize that, um, this, this relationship is now, what does a healthy relationship even look like? Um, you know, I think you bring up a lot of things and it goes back to TVs and movies have misled us on so many fronts on, on what violence even is and what is too much. And the answer is it's all too much. None of it should happen. You should be safe and secure and know that you're not going to be harmed by your partner. Um, While I know your name is women and children first, I would like to take a moment to point out that that is not the only populations you serve, um, that you do serve uh, the male populations as well as transgendered and and LGBTQIA plus and and anyone else that is seeking your services. Don't let the name deter you, folks. Um, they, They are for sure in support of all people, all victims. Um, so definitely reach out if you are in the need of support or know someone who is, because sometimes, again, it's just slipping somebody a phone number that can make all the difference in someone's lives. I'd just like to take this opportunity to thank you. Thank you for inviting us to the table and to be able to have this conversation about um, something that we both are very passionate about and we love and to just continue to put the spotlight on women and children first. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Um, Advocacy is such an integral part in receiving treatment, um, both mentally and physically. It is exactly what it is. We are advocating Advocates advocate for you and for um, getting those services embedded into your community so that we can treat it like the real health threat that it is. So we appreciate all the work that you are doing um, in support of victims across the state of Arkansas. Um, Let's shamelessly give that phone number and website one more plug. We can be reached at 501-376-3219. And we also have a website, www.wcfarkansas.org. We actually have a chat line. So if it's unsafe or you're uncomfortable with calling the hotline, there is a safe chat um, where you can chat with a trained hotline advocate. And it is secure. And so if you're needing to leave the site, um, you can just click escape and leave and that it won't leave a trace um, that you've been to our website. And the chat is also available 24 hours a day, seven days a week.
Perfect. So again, we appreciate you coming on Wake Up to Sexual Health. Um, be aware, sexual health has the word health in it. So uh, this is part of leaving a healthy life is, is ensuring that you are not a victim of violence, sexual assault, sexual abuse, um, and that you are educated and aware of your choices, um, what your body should and should not. There's not really any should not, but what it shouldn't be subjected to by other people. So um, feel free to reach out to Women and Children First, and we thank you for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this month's episode of Wake Up to Sexual Health. We'd like to thank Anne Prosper and Lakeith Henry from Women and Children First for joining us. Please don't let the name um, dissuade you. Women and Children First support all sexes, all genders. Um, they are not a discriminatory service, so feel free to reach out to them if you or someone you know is in need of assistance. Please join us next month where we will talk about multidisciplinary teams and how they can affect our communities and help support awareness and education. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions for future topics, you can email us at sane at uams.edu. That's S-A-N-E at uams.edu. You can also visit our website at idhi.uams.edu slash telesane. We hope you enjoyed this month's episode of Wake Up to Sexual Health. We'd like to thank Anne Prosper and Lakeith Henry from Women and Children First for joining us. Please don't let the name um, dissuade you. Women and Children First support all sexes, all genders. Um, they are not a discriminatory service, so feel free to reach out to them if you or someone you know is in need of assistance. Please join us next month where we will talk about multidisciplinary teams and how they can affect our communities and help support awareness and education. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions for future topics, you can email us at sane at uams.edu. That's S-A-N-E at uams.edu. You can also visit our website at idhi.uams.edu slash telesane.